One thing that was pretty impressive, was a lot of fun for me, was we lived near the sea. And every now and then, we'd see the Adriatic Sea, because I grew up in Italy, okay? And then we'd see the Adriatic Sea, and it would just be as like glass. Ever been in a body of water that looks like that? Well, one of the things that we did was that we'd look for rocks. And we'd look for the smooth ones, and we'd try to skip them over the water. I still try to do that every now and then. I'm lousy at it, but I still try to do it. And then there were other places where there was kind of like um, a protrusion or we were up above the water and everything. And as kids, we'd grab these rocks that were huge to us, but, you know, fairly, fairly good size. And maybe it was 10, 15 feet down or something like that. And we'd just take these rocks and just kind of, whoa. and all of a sudden you go, plush, and it would go crazy, wouldn't it? But in both of those situations, the one thing that we enjoyed watching were the ripples, the ripples that it would make. And it would just expand and just get bigger and bigger. Ripples. Those are things that we want to make in our lives, don't we? Whether it be with our kids, whether it be with our family, whether it be in, in our performance at work, we want to leave a mark. We want to make a difference. We want to influence other people. And so we try very, very hard, but never do we make ripples as impactful as when we end up sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with other people. Because it not only touches lives, it impacts the world. And it can save the world. There's a company that I've come across that has a motto that says, change the world one healthy habit at a time. And when it comes to sharing Jesus with others, we easily get discouraged. We get discouraged by the number of people that, that are around us within our community and that are present in our world and in our nation. And we ask ourselves, how in the world can I make a difference? How in the world can I really impact the world? And the answer is, just like that motto, one person at a time. Last week, Will spoke about that so well when he talked about loving people and how, how it's risky and how it's difficult. Because human love is everywhere, but God's love is very, very rare. And it's only available when God's people practice it with others. It's only available through us. And in order to love as Jesus love, as Will said, we need to stretch our minds, we need to stretch our comfort zones, and we need to stretch our bodies, and that is put them into action. So with that in mind, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we've talked about the great commandment that God has given us, but in Matthew 28, he gives us the great commission. And I want us to look at that passage of Scripture. Some of us may be so familiar with it. We've heard it in church over and over again, but it's good to revisit it because it talks about what it is that we're called to do as believers in Jesus. And I want us to start with verse 16, and this is what, Jesus, what, what, what is recorded in Matthew and that Jesus said. 
Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, uh, to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And Galilee was probably about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love that phrase that says that they worshiped him. Here Jesus appears post-resurrection in full bodily form. Their world had been rot. And it should rock ours too, by the way. If the resurrection of Jesus is real, our adrenaline should be pumping through our bodies. There should be an excitement about a news that is beyond compare and that nobody else has been able to replicate. But there were those who doubted. And I suspect that there are probably some people in here who are the same way. Maybe you question, maybe you wonder, maybe you're skeptical. And sometimes we doubt because we've been hurt one time too many, isn't it? We don't want to be disappointed again. So my my question to you is, do you doubt, do you wonder if Jesus claims if he can really do all those things? Do you question whether this Christianity gig is all that it's cracked up to be? I love one of the songs that we sing during worship times. It says, bring your doubts and bring your fears. Bring your hurt, bring your tears. There'll be no condemnation here. You are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And some of them doubted. But Jesus didn't throw him out and say, okay, you get out of here. Instead, he spoke to them just as much as he spoke to those who were excited about seeing him. We have a vision statement at Mechanics Church of Christ, and we've been looking at various aspects of that. And we've talked about we want to love God and we want to love people. And we've examined those two claims, those two, those two passions that we have But we want to look at the third passion that we have. And we want to impact the world for future generations. And this is what we say. We want to impact the world by strategically reaching out to our, in this community and world, with the gospel of Jesus Christ through community and international service. Now you look at that and you read it and you find yourself thinking, well, that's impossible. How in the world are we going to do that? How can it be you've you've been advertising that this is mission possible? How can you do that? Here's the answer. Mission possible is impossible without the first statement that Jesus made in Matthew 28. When he stood before his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Mission possible possible is impossible without Jesus Christ. 
And through the death, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ wrestled control of this world from Satan's hand. They, he wrestled, he destroyed his grip over this world. And he is in the process of redeeming, and he will eventually restore this place. But Satan is a sore loser. And just like any defeated foe, he will do anything he possibly can to not only create havoc, even though he knows he's defeated, but to take as many people with him as he possibly can. He wants to take you. He wants to take me. And rather than being thrown into the lake of fire alone, He wants us to go with him. But I'm here to tell you that those who trust in Jesus Christ will not go there. And that is good news. Those who trust in Jesus Christ also will be able to live life to the fullest on this earth, regardless of our circumstances. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, Jesus says. Folks, do you think this world is amazing? You think the Grand Canyon is breathtaking? Can I say something in poor English grammar? You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. In the meantime, he has called us to impact the world by making disciples so that others can join us in looking forward to that new place, so that others can join us in a venture that is truly life-changing and life-impacting and, and, and living in, in the fullness of the Spirit, in the fullness of His power, in the fullness of everything that He offers as we look forward to that new place. Folks, I want to tell you what a disciple is not. A disciple of Jesus is not just a church attender. A disciple of Jesus is not just a worshiper who really gets caught up in the moment. And we had amazing worship this morning, didn't we? It's not just that. A disciple of Jesus is not just a student of the Bible. A disciple of Jesus is a completely committed follower of his. Now, please understand me. Worship and learning are vital to us. They are vital for our existence. One of the major reasons we're told to meet like we're doing today is so that we can spur one another to love and good deeds and encourage each other. We need that because sometimes we walk in here bloody, don't we? Sometimes we walk in here just really, really hurting, and we need a a smiling face somebody to put their arm around us, somebody, somebody to pray with us, somebody to encourage us in ways that we've never had before. But it's going to help us to accomplish his commission. It's going to help us to make disciples, to help lead others to become followers of Jesus And quite simply, folks, as Christians, our love, our our goal is to love people so stinking much. Yes, stinking, okay? We just need to reek of that kind of love and acceptance and, and, 
and embracing people for who they are, that they see Jesus in us and they want what he offers and we're able to share it with them, not only in our actions, but also in our words. You see, this is how Jesus defines being a disciple. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone wants to follow me, he must give up himself and his own desires. Oh, we got a lot of those, don't we? And he must take up his cross every day and follow me. Now, quite simply, crucifixion means dying, okay? Can, can we just be clear about that? It means dying. It means dying to self and focusing wholly on others who matter to God, just as Jesus did. I love what, what I heard from somebody. I can't remember the guy's name, but I just heard this last week. A person who has died to self is always ready to pull someone out of the pit of discouragement. Isn't that true? Isn't that just so real? And taking up our cross is always going to mean putting Jesus first and then putting others second. It means dying to self and putting others first in a way, not just our friends and our family, but as Will said last week, also our enemies, also the people that we don't like too much, the people that we want to avoid when we see them walking down the aisle at Publix or Kroger or wherever, and we just go the opposite direction. Ever had that? I I think they'll avoid them. Even the people who don't see eye to eye with us politically, even those who don't live the way we do. Folks, the stakes are high. You survey people all over the place, and surveys have been done over and over again, Pew Research, Barna, others, and they will tell you that they, most people in, the, in this country believe that they're going to go to heaven. And you go internationally and visit other places, most people believe that they're going to go to heaven. But Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except through him, which is pretty exclusive. And those who don't follow him are choosing to go to a place that is filled with suffering and pain far greater than anyone or anything we could ever imagine. Jesus himself called it a a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there are some people who just say, "I, I, I just don't believe in a place like that. I don't believe that a loving God would offer a place like that. But I find it very interesting that if you study through the Gospels, which talk about the life of Jesus, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He believed that it was a real place. And he died to make sure that none of us would go there. God isn't willing that anyone should perish, what 2 Peter 3, 9 says, but that everyone should come to repentance. I love this picture that you're going to see behind me and what it says. It says, men who fear hell seek religion. Men who have been there seek Jesus. Women too, by the way, okay? I'm not trying to be sexist. I just thought that it was the message is very, very powerful. 
When Peter confessed that Jesus was the truly the promised one of God for the very first time as recorded in Matthew 16, Jesus commended him for saying what he did. And he went on in verse 18 of Matthew 16 when he said that the, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not pre- overcome it. If you've done any kind of study in history and in military uh, operations and different things like that, you find that most cities today don't have walls of protection. But back in those days, that's what you had. That was part of your defense. And here's the thing, folks. The gates are protective measures. That It's a defensive posture. And the gates of hell, hell is on the defensive because of what Jesus has done. Because death and sin have been destroyed and conquered by Jesus, everyone in the gates or within hell is, is just, they're scared out of their wits. Because the news about Jesus is so powerful, it's so magnetic, it's so life-changing that the di- kingdom of darkness has been on the, on the defensive. And the darker the darkness, the brighter the light. The greater the impact. The more powerful the good news. Folks, I'm, I agree. And we can have conversations about this all day. We live in dark times. You agree? We live in dark times. And it is because of that that we need to reflect Jesus and share him with others. It is time for us to quit playing games. It is time for us to really get serious about our faith, our mission, Because his mission is our mission, and he is the one who makes an impossible mission possible. And this isn't to go ahead and put attention to ourselves and to notch victories and different things like that, meet quotas and things. All of it, all of it is driven by love. I was talking to somebody the other day about a decision that they were really contemplating and really wrestling with. And I, I remember looking at him and I said, you know, so, so tell me, why? Why do you really want to do this? And their answer was, because I want to help people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Christ's love compels us. We want to help people. Jesus is our driving force. His authority makes it all possible. So since Jesus has all authority, what is it that we're called to, we're tasked with something. And the Bible says, and he says, go and make disciples. So how do we make disciples? The first thing that we do is we do it by going. Going and be witnesses for Jesus and modeling Jesus wherever we are, whatever we do, and allowing for his transformation in us and through us to be seen in our day-to-day lives. A witness is someone who doesn't have it all figured out, 
A witness is someone who simply says, this is the difference that he's made in my life. They tell what it is that they know and what they've experienced. Has the Lord given you grace? Come on, give me some amens, okay, if it applies to you. Has he been good to you? Is he teaching you? Is he loving you? So often we think we have to know it all and we have to have a whole string of education right behind us. But a witness never has all the answers. They're simply called to share what they know. And the more that we learn about the Lord, the more we learn about who he wants us to be, we have more to share. It means hearing and obeying the promptings of his spirit to talk to, to invite, to share life and love others in his name. So we're called to make disciples by going, but we're also called to make disciples by baptizing. For those of you who are visiting for the first time right behind this screen, there's a baptistry. And we celebrate baptisms around here. We think it's a big deal because Jesus thought it was a big deal. If not, he wouldn't have included it in this command because baptism shows the commitment that we make. It's an initiation. It's a wedding ceremony of a believer to, uh, in terms of his, his or her commitment to Jesus. It's a total confession. Not only people saying the words, but it's also a bodily confession because as a person is lowered into the water and brought back up, they're reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as Romans chapter 6 says. And they're declaring that they believe that what Jesus did alone is sufficient to save them and to forgive them and to, 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 to give, fill them with the Holy Spirit. Baptism becomes the line in the sand for someone. It's a decision to follow Jesus and no one else. It's a birth into a new way of living, to live God's way and to see life and to begin to see life as he sees it, which is totally different from what we're constantly accustomed to in this world. But then we're not only called to make disciples by Going and by baptizing, we're also called to make disciples by teaching. Because just as a child learns, we're called to learn too. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about it. He's having to speak to the church as infants. And a lot of times we don't grow up in our faith. But we have to relearn some things and we have to rethink some things. And we need to learn what it means to live for and follow Jesus. And it's a lifetime process. I've, I, I've been, a, by God's grace, I've been alive for over 64 years. And I can't tell uh, it's been a long time since I've been a Christian. Okay? I've been a Christian for a long time. No, I, let me reword that. I've been a Christian for a long time. Long time maybe longer than some of you have been on this earth. But I can also tell you that even though I don't know everything and I never really will, by God's grace, I am different from what I was six months ago. I've grown from what I was three years ago 
My sister's here. She can tell you. I'm a lot different than what I was 30 years ago. Right, Valerie? There you go. Okay. And my wife can tell you the same thing because we've been married 42. So just so you know, it's a process. And we can all learn together and we can become all that God wants us to be. I've discovered that the moment I stop learning in the things of God is the moment that I stop growing. As a matter of fact, it's the moment when I start to die spiritually. I need to be in his word. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in worship and in fellowship with others so I can learn more about him and of him. And I need to teach others to do the same. And you do too. And we think about all this and easily get scared. How can I do this? What if I fail? What if I don't know enough? Once again, I just want to reemphasize, witnesses don't know it all. They just simply are called to share what it is that they do. And doing all that Jesus asks isn't something that we do on our own. It's done on the basis of Jesus Christ being in charge. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's done on the basis of Jesus having won. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus signifies that sin has been overcome and death has been destroyed. There is no victory in it. It is simply a transition to something better. And we overcome, overwhelmingly conquer, Romans 8 says, because he first loved us. It's done on the basis of Jesus being with us because he concludes this passage of Scripture by saying, I am with you always. And he says, I'm with you always when you're going out and doing this very thing that I'm calling you to do. Folks, we live in a community that is a great community to live in, right? A lot of good people. And they will do anything for, you know, and they show human love in a very, very real way. And I'm grateful for that. I love Mechanicsville. I love this area. I love the people. But there are far, far too many that are far from Jesus. Because their lives would show it if they did. Does yours? Does mine? Are we committed to making disciples? You see, this is not a command just for pastors and teachers and and, and ministerial staff and elders or just a few people with the gift of gab. It's a call for everyone who follows him. And my question is, who are you praying for that doesn't know Jesus? A few weeks ago, we had people come up, or actually a couple of months ago, people put names over in the prayer wall back there and said, I want to make sure, I want to pray for this person so that they'll know Jesus. Who are you praying for? Maybe you need to add somebody up there, and you need to commit yourself to do that. The Bible says not to become weary in well-doing, because in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. Who are you inviting? Because sometimes inviting ends up, Breaking the ice for some people 
because they know that somebody's going to be sitting with them and welcoming them, and they're going to have a familiar face. Are you sharing your faith when the opportunity presents itself? Are you teaching others what you know about Jesus and what it means to follow him? Yeah, it's a call to stretch. It's a call to stretch. To stretch our minds, to stretch our bodies, to stretch our comfort zones. It's a call to do something we haven't done before in many cases. It's a call to risk something, to risk everything for the sake of someone, for the sake of the one who gave his all for us, but also for the sake of somebody else who doesn't know him. And you find yourself thinking sometimes, well, Mark, it's nice for you to say it's taking a risk, but I'm not a risk taker. Can I use a real deeply theological word on you when you say that? Baloney. <laughs> you are risk takers. Anybody here ever been bungee jumping? Come on. Oh, we got one, two. Okay. Anybody gone down a zip line? And there are more. Anybody here been in an airplane or a helicopter? Anybody here bought a house? Anybody here had a child? And you're telling me you didn't risk anything? Blah. I know better. Folks, it's time to risk it all for Jesus. And it's time to show others that we love them by telling them the greatest news there ever was. Because really, when it comes right down to it, if we don't, we're telling people that they can go to hell. And that is the ultimate in selfishness. And that is the ultimate evil. Please hear that. And I'm not saying that judgmentally. I'm saying that for me because I can get so busy and think, oh, I've, I'll do it some other time. I struggle with that just as much as you do. But I know this. The good news of Jesus changed the world back when he was here and resurrected and went to heaven. The good news of Jesus is changing the world in places where persecution abounds and opposition is prevalent right here and right now all throughout the globe. And I believe that the good news of Jesus can change this community it can change this country. But we got to go. Father, we come to you right now. We come to you in the name of Jesus, thanking you for loving us so much that you were willing to come and die for us. But we also confess that we haven't done a very good job of, of talking about that with others. 
And we come up with all sorts of different excuses. But it's time to put the excuses aside. It's time for us to fulfill your vision for us. It's time for us to obey you. And there are some people here that don't know you. They may think that they do, but they don't. And maybe something has stirred in their heart. And I pray, God, that if that is the case, that uh, you would allow for them and make it available for them to go ahead and talk to somebody about where they stand with you. And God, I pray that you'd be in this moment because every single one of us has a decision to make. Every single one of us needs to make some kind of a decision. And it may be a person, it may be an attitude, it may be a sin, whatever, that needs to change. Be in this moment, Holy Spirit. Please do your work in us. May we respond. May we be disciples. In Jesus' name.